You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. Happy New Year, 2019. One year's old or over and a new one's beginning. That's always, um, that's always a good thing. One of the things I believe about this particular year, I don't think I've said this quite this way before, about a year, but I believe this is a year of breakthrough for people. And um, I believe it was, was it last week we prayed for the Jacksons? Um, Stephen and Heather Jackson moved to to Virginia and um, what you pray and what you say can have much more of an effect than you actually realize. And, um, so Stephen had, um, Stephen had sent this testimony to, uh, to Andy Squires and Andy forwarded it to me. And so let me read this to you. Robin's word for us Sunday. Remember when he prayed for the ducks to all get in a row. How many of you remember that? And then I, I quacked three times. Quack, quack, quack. Do you remember that part? That was important that I quacked. Now, you might think that's odd, but it wasn't odd because the Holy Spirit just loves, um, he loves to play. I don't know if you realize that. He's, he just loves to party, loves to play, loves to have fun. Um, if you want to see what the Holy Spirit is like, he's the opposite of religious people. I'll give you a little bit of an idea. That's terrible, but it's true. Sort of. So I prayed quack, 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 led by the Spirit, by the way. Well, today has been quite the day. Up until this morning, we have had no offers on the house and no breakthroughs on any jobs. But then today, heaven opened, and we received and accepted an offer on the house that's number one. I had a lunch with a lawyer in town who connected me with two jobs and an email for a job interview I had already applied for. And Heather got an interview with the school system. Last cool part, today is the third day of January. Three quacks, three breakthroughs, January 3rd. I sort of like that. January, a new year, a new season, and all this happened on the third day. Come on, from Stephen Jackson. So, yeah. So I want to, uh, I'm going to talk about our church vision a little bit today. But before I do that, um, I, I did feel like the Lord told me there was someone here with dyslexia that he wanted to heal. Is there anyone here and you're dyslexic? When you look at words, they don't look right you have trouble reading, and you're a terrible speller. All of those sort of go together. Anybody here? One in the back. I know you're here. Is that you in the back? Yes. Anyone else? Now, I have a history of understanding how this works. I will say these things, and you will be afraid to stand up or respond. And then after the meeting's over, you'll get convicted and want help. And you wind up over here saying, hey, you know... But the interesting thing is, I think you get more bang out of your buck if you stand up now by faith. 
Anyone else? Don't be shy. Anyone else who'd like to have dyslexia and get healed of it this morning? <laughs> and is that Hunter in the back? Is that who I see? Everybody turn around and aim at Hunter. We're going to pray for him this morning. And let me say this. Anybody else who needs a breakthrough, stand up. Let's just start praying. Any breakthrough in any area, just stand up. So we should start getting a bunch of testimonies because, listen, this is the year of breakthrough. And in the name of Jesus, we release to you, Hunter, the victory, the healing, the deliverance, however that thing works from that dyslexia. Anyone in here who has um, any of those sort of mental wiring, I don't know what you call it, those kind of issues. We release right now a healing, a faith, a miracle, a transformation, a breakthrough in Jesus' name right now. Amen. Amen. Okay. Really good. Well, when I think about the church, Queen City Church, we started it over eight years ago. And, um, we have a great opportunity, and here's, here's what I'm saying. We have a great opportunity to be a multi-generational church. We have, um, we have a good number. Of, I, I don't classify people, but there are classifications people give. Millennials, we have, um, I don't know what I am, but I'm a baby boomer. Thank you. Now I know. <laughs> this baby's booming. And there's a group in between those. And we have, at times, four different generations who are here. And um, that's hard to do because I'm a lot different than millennials. But here's the other side of the coin. Millennials are a lot different than baby boomers. And at the end of the day, we should be able to not coexist, but thrive together in a congregation of people who honor, respect, and make room and allowances for the, for the differences in the generations because they're legitimate differences. And... If we can understand each other, I think that's a lot of people do the Enneagram. You know, I'm not smart enough to understand all of it, but I know uh, Shelly back there could straighten you out about all of it. She's a, <laughs> she knows what a six wing two and a an eight wing 14 and a, what am I, a four wing well, here, here's the problem. <laughs> I guess that's good, although people are laughing, so I'm not. Uh... But, but the idea uh, is if you understand why people are different, you begin to understand who they are, and you don't expect them, you don't get surprised by some of the things they may think or do, which helps relationships. So, but we have that, we have that opportunity and um, so that's really part of my prayer is that we learn how to honor one another 
how to respect one another and realize the differences and make adjustments because I believe we have an opportunity to really grow and expand as a church who has those different generations that do function um, together and who are not at war with one another because it's, uh, it's really important. And so this being sort of a vision Sunday, we, we don't, it's, it's even worse than we don't talk enough about vision. We haven't talked about it very much. We've been more sort of just living our lives and, and doing what we do. But if you look on our website for Queen City Church, it says, here's our purpose, love God, love our city. And then we make this statement there that QCC or Queen City Church is a group of people who love Jesus and love our city. We love the family and the friends who make up our lives and the lives of our community. We want to see our community grow strong in faith and love, empowered in their specific talents and gifts to be a blessing both here and beyond. And what I wanted to do was couch, I'm going to give a few more specifics on the bottom end of this of this message, but about the church and what I believe the three main thrusts are and some of the things that go on in the context of each of those three, three different um, groupings. But I wanted to read two stories this morning. Uh, we don't have overhead, so you can just listen. You don't have to really follow along in their both of them you're probably pretty pretty familiar with, but one of them is um, actually has been demonstrated this morning by the Cowans, which is the story that's been called uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. Because I believe what we see in the story of the Good Samaritan is who we need to aim at becoming. And um, so let me read this. It's just such a great story. Um, and it start, if you want to look, it's in Luke 10, and I'm going to start with verse, verse 25. Just then a religious scholar stood before Jesus in order to test his doctrines. He posed this question, Teacher, what requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven? That's quite a question. Let me read that again. What requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven? I'm reading from the Passion Translation. King James, New King James, New American Standard would read, um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does Moses teach us? What do you read in the law? The religious scholar answered, it states. Now listen, listen to this. Is, these are terrible standards, ladies and gentlemen. Here's what you must do according to the law to inherit eternal life. You must love the Lord God with all your heart, all, somebody say all, all your passion, all your energy, and your every thought. And you must love your neighbor as well as you love yourself. Jesus said, that's correct. Now go and do exactly that and you will live. Well, the wonder of the Gospels is we can't, we can't live at that level. And, and the Gospel tells us this, Jesus fulfilled all those requirements on our behalf. And that really is the Gospel. And the way human nature works is when you recognize a standard, you're called to live for your life to be wonderful and when you recognize you can't live up to that standard 
and you feel the weight of it. And then you see that in the goodness of God, Jesus did that in a way that was given to us as though we had done it. And that's faith. That's justification by faith. Jesus did this for you. No one else could, and there's no other solution. That's, that's the basic Christian message. But this Pharisee, Jesus had trouble with these guys. It's like he was nice to everybody but them. Have you ever realized that reading through the New Testament? Because they were dangerous. They were dangerous to other people. Their concepts and ideas did nothing but bind people up. But Jesus was tricky. He knew how to get to them. So Jesus says, yes, you're exactly right. Now go and do exactly that and you will live. Then it says, wanting to justify himself, the religious scholar questioned Jesus further saying, what do you mean by, quote, my neighbor, unquote? In other words, who is my neighbor? I'm to love as myself. Jesus said, listen, I'll tell you. There was once a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho when bandits robbed him along the way. They beat him severely, stripped him naked, left him half dead. Soon a Jewish priest walking down the same road came upon the wounded man. Seeing him from a distance, the priest crossed to the other side of the road and walked right past him, not turning to help him one bit. So there was the Jewish priest and how he responded. Later, a religious man, a Levite, and a Levite is part of the priesthood as well in Jewish culture, came walking down the same road and likewise crossed to the other side to pass by the wounded man without stopping to help him. Finally, another man, a Samaritan, came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. He stooped down, gave him first aid, pouring olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting them with wine, and bandaging them to stop the bleeding. Lifting him up, he placed him on his own donkey, brought him to an inn. Then he took him from his donkey and carried him to a room for the night. The next morning, he took his own money from his wallet and gave it to the innkeeper with these words, take care of him until I come back from my journey. If it costs more than this, I'll repay you when I return. Then Jesus said to the religious scholars, so now tell me, which one of the three men who saw the wounded man proved to be his true neighbor? The religious scholar responded, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. Jesus said, you must go and do the same as he. And I believe the fact that um, Julie Clark told that story about her sister and how the Cowans responded just like what's been called the Good Samaritan, and that I'm reading this and had planned to read this this morning, just reinforces the fact that part of who we're called to be as a church are people who demonstrate kindness and mercy. You see, I, I, my, my background over the last four decades plus has been a focus on uh, a significant part, not my whole focus, but a significant part of my focus has been on like healing and the gifts of the spirit and the supernatural. But the way of fullness and wholeness is when 
both your character and your empowerment meet together. I don't want us just to be a fruit of the spirit church. And I don't want us just to be like a roll them in the aisles, healing Holy Ghost church. I think Jesus was both. Jesus was both. And if we're going to be whole, we need to have elements of both those aspects in our life, both character, kindness, mercy, treat one another well, and faith for people's lives to change if it takes a supernatural impartation or a touch. And so this is first story of the Good Samaritan. Actually, it's very interesting. The heading, the topic heading um, of this Good Samaritan story is loving God, loving others, which is exactly what I believe God has given us as a simple vision here for our church. Um, so character and kindness. And we see that in Jason and Kelly Cowan. That's, that's remarkable. They went and found Julie's sister. They put her up. They did everything like Jesus was doing. And one of the things that um, uh, Brian Simmons in the Passion Translation, one of his footnotes says this, and I think it's a great insight. The Good Samaritan is a picture of who Jesus is. Jesus stoops down to touch us, to heal us, to lift us up, to carry us on our journey to pay our debts, that's amazing, the parallel, and he promises to return and reward those who do his will. And that's something we don't talk about enough. Do you know Jesus is coming back? The real Jesus? This same Jesus whom you saw ascend into the heavens shall in like fashion return. And we don't, we don't live with that in mind. But that's what Jesus was saying. This is who I am. This is what it is to have a neighbor. And this is how it is to act. And he tells about a Samaritan. And, of course, you may know. If you don't, it's significant. In this story, Samaritans were despised by religious Jews. And yet when Jesus would tell what it's like to obey the heart of the law he finds it in the life of a man who is basically rejected by the religious culture of his day. Anyway, that's worth noting. Now, the other, the other story I want to read is about um, when Jesus heals these ten lepers. So story number one is about character. Story number two is about power or um, healing or the miraculous. And I think both of those were called to. And so you can find this in Luke 17. I'll start reading in verse. Those numbers get small. The older you get, the smaller numbers get. Anybody realize that? Hey, I'm having a birthday. Yeah, yeah. Thousand dollar uh, gifts and new cars and submarines, whatever you like to. I just mess with you. Please don't give me anything. I'm good. My wife said, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, I want floor mats for my car. <laughs> it's come down to that. <laughs> <laughs> I pity my family Christmas. I, see, here's, here's my problem. If I want something, I'm not waiting till Christmas. <laughs> I'm going to get it. And then they waste. I'm looking at Sarah. She's shaking her head. They waste hours trying to give me something. I feel so bad for them. But. 
Luke 17, verse 11. Jesus heals 10 lepers. Jesus traveled on toward Jerusalem and passed through the border region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered one village, 10 men approached him, but they kept their distance for they were lepers. Uh, Lepers were excluded from society because their disease was so contagious. And so they would only come so close to Jesus. They shouted to him, mighty Lord, our wonderful master. And um, that word master in this context is not the usual word for teacher or master. It, it denotes one with supernatural authority and power. And so they were looking, and I think this is something we need to think about. When we look to Jesus for issues, we need to see him as the one who can do what we need done on the level of our problem. Does that make sense? In other words, if you need to be healed, we need to see him as the healer, not the teacher. Because there's an an idea that you will receive at the level of how you honor. You will receive from a person's ministry at the level you honor that ministry. And, And that's why the devil wants everybody in the church mad at the ministry. Because it restricts your capacity to receive. And if it, if it restricts your capacity to receive, it can also respect, re- restrict the worship team's ability to impart, the pastor, the teacher, the, those number of us who teach. It can actually keep us from doing as well as we could. Now, I know that sounds like an excuse, but I've been doing this long enough to realize a person, I preach better to hungry people. There's just a dynamic. There's a spiritual dynamic that, that goes on. So, But then there are times you're hungry and I don't do a good job, and that's, you know, you got to face facts. So, <laughs> mighty Lord, our wonderful master, won't you have mercy on us and heal us? When Jesus stopped to look at them, he spoke these words. Go to be examined by the Jewish priest. They set off and they were healed while walking along the way. Now, in our culture, that makes no sense. But in Jewish culture, if you were a leper and you got healed, you had to go to the priest for him to confirm the fact that you were healed so that you could be allowed back into everyday society. And so when they came to Jesus and said, heal us, he basically said, Go do what you should do if you were healed. You know what that's called? Faith. Some people say you fake it till you make it. There's more truth to that than we would ever care to believe sometime. Can you do that wrong? Yes. Can you do that right? Yes. So he says, go to be examined by the Jewish priests. So they take off. Uh, and, and they were healed while walking along the way. One of them, a foreigner from Samaria, here we have another picture of the person doing it the right way. A Samaritan, when he discovered that he was completely healed, turned back to find Jesus, shouting out joyous praises and glorifying God. When he found Jesus, he fell down at his feet and thanked him over and over, saying to him, you are the Messiah. This man was a Samaritan. 
So we, in these two stories, the hero of the story is a Samaritan, and the Samaritan was a Jewish, an outcast from honored Jewish society. It's really interesting who God touches and raises up. So Jesus said to the Samaritan, where are the other nine? Weren't there ten who were healed? They all refused to return to give thanks and give glory to God except you, a foreigner from Samaria. Now this this shows us Jesus' attitude towards people that he helps and what he understands should be the normal reaction to a person that receives something from God. It should be thanksgiving. But I can I, I can think we can see something further here. Weren't there ten who were healed? They all refused to return to give thanks and give glory to God except you, a foreigner from Samaria. Then Jesus said to the healed man lying at his feet, Arise and go. It was your faith that brought you, and Jesus names two things, salvation and healing. And so one of the things Jesus is saying here is that you're, you're not a whole person just because you get your need met. You're not a whole person until your, your need is met and your heart begins to develop appreciation for the one who did it. And see, there again, the first part's like a miracle. The second part is like a character issue. Thanksgiving, actually the fruit of the Spirit, the Bible says, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so what I see we're called to here is we're called to a church that believes in the power of God but knows that apart from having the fruit of the Spirit, having a changed character, we're not really a whole person yet. I think that's so important, and I believe that's what God's called us to. So when I look at at the church, um, I see, and they're more than this, but these are three basic thrusts or areas that I see God's called us to. And then under each one, there, there are other categories and things. But I see that he's called us to be a strong community. I believe he's called us to excellence in worship. I so appreciated what Andy was saying this morning about worship, that what can actually go on in worship. Um, God's not looking for cheerleaders, and he doesn't have an insecurity complex, so he's got to be told how great he is. We tell God he's great because in that corporate context of worship, of his greatness, he begins to impart to us what it is we see in him. Does that make sense? That's a that's a, a certain part of worship. John Mark has a has a great understanding too of just what it is to sing together as a, as a community. There's so many benefits and values in worship, and um, one of the reasons I started the church was years ago. The Lord um, spoke to me and He said, "Pick up the guitar and play it, or I'll go find someone else." 
And he wasn't talking about me being a musician. He was talking about a disenfranchised or a dislocated community of creatives, musicians, worship people, and others who appreciate that sort of thing, who didn't have a place to connect. And the Lord was telling me, if you don't do it, I'll go find someone else. And I realized anytime the Lord offers me something to do, only a fool would say no, because with the offer is the ability to make the thing happen. And your good ideas that you ask God to help you with won't necessarily work. So my wife and I said yes, and, and actually there were, there were a number of couples. Um, I might leave people out, but it was, it was Christopher and Brandy and John, Mark, and Sarah and uh, the Baldwins and Stuart and Courtney Clark and Eric and Amanda Hurchin. And um, there were actually a couple other people. And now uh, some of those have gone on. But now with Andy and Amy Squires, that sort of sums up what we have as a, um, a creative team that, that is part of our leadership here. And then there are all kind of other people like the Woodfins and the Malloys and on and on and on who, who came at early and strategic times to help this church grow and develop to do the things that we're doing now. So I know I'll leave people out, and I, I really apologize about that. But there are these three areas, building a strong community, which means building families and strong relationships, excellence in worship, which is um, at least to cultivate the presence of the Lord in a corporate way and to experience God together. And then there's to, to minister with power, heal the sick, prophetic ministry. And so when I look at that strong community uh, thrust, I look at the things that we've, we have tried to do to develop a stronger community of loving people by building the relationships. One of the primary things we did early on was that Brandon McMillan began the children's ministry. And then we have developed, um, last year, Andy Squires developed home groups, and we got started with that. And there have been ladies' meetings, and there have been these entrepreneur meetings, Mom's Morning Out, the Tuesday Morning Prayer, Casey Clark mentioned around the table for the young adults. And then Adam Fidel has done some marriage enrichment or relationship enrichment um, meetings that I'm certain he'd like to continue doing. And so those are some of the things we've done here. Uh, we've had men's meetings. They're sort of sporadic. We need somebody that really likes doing them. So that's part of how it works. But anyway... We have lady, all of those are things we've done over the last number of years to help develop and build a strong community. And um, the truth of the matter is no one will basically stay at a church until they find a place to connect relationally. And that means two things. We need to provide opportunities, but a provided opportunity doesn't work if you don't take advantage of it and persevere. And so excellence in worship. So strong community, loving people, excellence in worship, loving God. Um, Andy Squires has done a marvelous job leading um, our worship team. Uh, he values the creative. Actually, one of the things I told Andy about this past year is he, I want him to get his album done because I think it's going to be a remarkable, remarkable album. He's been working on that. Um, I mentioned the importance of corporate worship. 
um, cultivating the presence and building worship teams. So that's excellence in worship. We have some of the best worship in town. Is that true or not? Right? Yeah, come on. And, and we have we have such wonder. I'm, I'm looking at Molly Williams sitting out there and all, all the people that are just so good. And, and then there are people that are good that we don't know about. And you're here somewhere too. We'd like to find find you and figure out how to get that going. But anyway, and then there's ministry with power, which um, healing teams, our prophetic teams, that sounds like I said pathetic team, prophetic teams. But we have between 35 and 40 people on those teams. And one of the characteristics of what I would consider apostolic Christianity is that you train people to do things. You help people do what it takes to learn how to minister. And, and so that's, that's a part of what we try to develop here. And the last thing I want to mention is um, our outreach. We, I grew up tithing. I can remember my dad was a college football coach and he was a very successful college football coach. It's hard to believe that when he was 26 years old, he was the head football, head basketball, head baseball coach at the University of South Carolina all in the same year, which is crazy. It makes no sense. He should have been a millionaire. He wasn't even married. And he is the youngest head football coach to ever take a football team to a bowl game, Wake Forest, Jacksonville, uh, the Gator Bowl. So, he coached at the Citadel. How many of you ever heard of Al Davis on the Raiders, Oakland Raiders, or Los Angeles Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders, the Pineville Raiders? They'll probably be in Pineville before we know it. <laughs> well, when my dad got fired at the Citadel, they replaced him with Al Davis. And dad got out of coaching because he got tired of getting fired. And he didn't want to haul his kids all over the country, my brother and I, my mom, of course, but... I'm saying all that to say this. My dad was a man of reputation in the community. And when we lived in Spartanburg, after he left the Citadel, he was interviewed by, I don't know, the paper down there, the Spartanburg Herald or whatever it was. And they said to him, Coach McMillan, what's important to you? And what is important that you teach your children? And one of the three things he mentioned was tithing and generosity. See how culture has changed so drastically. And so when I grew up, I had a 50 cent a week allowance, whether I needed it or not. And a nickel went in the offering plate. And on the corner of East and West Boulevard here in Charlotte, there's a church that used to be Chalmers Memorial Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. Now it's a different Presbyterian church. But I can remember as a junior high school age kid, when one Saturday night, the old plaster roof had been leaking and it, it big hunks of plaster had fallen all over the sanctuary. And my mom and dad gave beyond their tithe sacrificially to, to repair the building in there. So I grew up with that being a part of what I knew I should be doing. And I'm saying all that to say this. Even as a church, we give away a minimum of 10% of everything that comes in here for missions and some for, for other, uh, other people's needs. And 
if people don't give, we it it and I'm not I'm not making this a tithing message. I'm just going to tell you how this works. So we can do whatever we do um, practically based on the generosity of the people that come to this church. Um, everything has to be paid for, and I refuse I refuse to pay preachers preachers' salaries. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not looking for somebody and pay them as cheaply as possible. I want to pay them as well as I can because I understand how all that works. I mean, I'm the guy that lived by faith, drove to Florida. Here's what happened. I noticed (laughs) I had two places to preach down in Florida. So I drove all the way down there and one of them wouldn't let me preach because I had a Christmas tree at home. And the other one gave me a $65 honorarium. So I went to Florida and back for $65. And I do not recommend that. (laughs) My wife is the dearest woman I've ever met in the world. And even she told me one time about an offering this church gave us. She said, send it back. They need it worse than we do. (laughs) And I thought, not even I have had the nerve to say that, but she did. So... It must be a good thing because she's the most godly person I know. But here's who we give to. We give to Bowles Ministries. He's a prophetic guy that operates at a very high level. We give to Latin Impact. We support four churches in Cuba by supporting pastors. Actually, I think it's five at a level much better than their standard of living. We do that every month. We support Jim Hill and his heart to Argentina. Let me tell you about Jim Hill. Jim Hill, the Lord told Jim Hill if he would build an an arsenic filtration plant in the mountains of the Andes and give it to the community, give it to the community, it would open the door for the gospel. The problem was women in that area of the Andes die by the time they're 50 years old from arsenic. It doesn't affect the men that way, but it affects the women. And the government wouldn't recognize that poison because they would be responsible to do something about it. So Jim Hill develops um, a team of engineers from Atlanta and they, they, because it's very hard to get arsenic out of the water and they build this plant and he gives it to that town. We support him. We support him every month. Now he's doing the, um, radio church of the Andes. He's built a radio tower center and he has receiving sets all through the Andes mountains when it would take you three days to get there by car, mule, and ladder. I mean, just hard to get there. I don't know how you get there. But but what he's done is he's got this big radio tower, and he's beaming the gospel and providing receiving sets in each one of these little towns, and they're having church. That's the kind of people you support. We support Keeping Hope Alive. Freddie Powers has street people churches. She has churches under bridges. And she has orphanages in Haiti and Africa. And then Cameron and Susie Urihi, Cameron is Persian or Iranian, and Iran is close to the gospel. 
But Cameron and Susie, and Susie's this out-of-the-box, out-of-control worship-type person, and they are developing indigenous worship music for Persia, for Iran. And they're piping that and messages by satellite into a nation that is anti-Christian. And there are hundreds of thousands of, of young people coming to the Lord in Iran. And this isn't the only reason. There are other reasons. But that's what we also do. Um, and we, we help missionary athletes. And we have helped a local congregation, the Exchange Church, right across the parking lot. Over the last two years, I think we helped. We didn't give all this money, but we helped raise close to, I think it was $60,000 to help them get in their building. And that, to me, might have been the most exhilarating thing I had done personally because it's a it's an African-American community. It's right next door. And we we gave sacrificially. Our church did. You did. We did. But we believed God would take care of us, and he has. And when we did that, we were breaking down racial barriers. We were breaking down territorial barriers. You don't help the church next door. You hope they dry up and blow away and all the people come to your church. A lot of pastors think that way, but it's not a good way to think. We want them to do well, and they're just right here. I mean, you can see the back of their building from our front door. And then generosity. We are a generous people. And the interesting thing is we have had several just huge checks given to the church and um, I believe part of it is because it's, 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 it's like when you give to the Lord things he wants you to do, he'll continue to provide for you to, to give because he really wants these things to work. So that's an idea of what we are as a church. It's in part, it's not complete, but it's just a little bit of a vision to, to let you know more about who we are and what we're trying to do and what you're involved in. And um, so let me invite you to participate. I so loved Julie Clark's testimony this morning. I thought, my goodness, the Cowans went to Olympia, found Julie's sister, put her in a hotel, gave her a bus ticket to send her home. Man, that's... I didn't even know the Cowans were from Samaria. That's a joke. That's a pitiful joke right there. So, I believe we have ministry teams today. Is that right? Anybody know? I know Stephen's out of town. Anybody here on one? Okay, great. God bless you folks. It's so good to see you. Thank you for being here. Let me pray for you. I just want to pray. Lord, there are people here that they really need you. And you're so ready and available to touch, to heal, to restore us. Lord, to fix our relationships, our deficiencies, our finances. So why don't we do this together? Why don't we pray, Lord Jesus, come give me what I need. Let me receive it now by faith. And let it be so real 
that I'm like that one Samaritan who came back to glorify you. Who came back to glorify you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Queen City Church. Lord, thank you for the staff. Thank you for the facility. Thank you for the congregation. Lord, thank you for the ushers and the greeters and the children's workers and the prophetic team people and the worship team people and gosh, Lord, all the people that make this work. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you folks. Have a great week. If you would like ministry, any kind of prayer, if you'll come over on this side. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.